Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that tallies the gains and losses of everyday history. I'm Gabe Lussier, and in this episode, we're talking about the supersonic ejection tests of the U.S. Air Force and the unlikely test pilots it compelled into service. As a warning, today's episode includes descriptions of government-sanctioned animal abuse and may be upsetting for some listeners. The day was March 21st, 1962. A black bear named Yogi was ejected from a supersonic bomber during a test of the plane's escape capsule. She was ejected at 35,000 feet from a U.S. Air Force B-58 Hustler, flying at the supersonic speed of 870 miles per hour. Thankfully, the experimental ejection capsule functioned properly, and Yogi survived the test. She landed unharmed about eight minutes later, but didn't stay that way for long. Prior to the 1940s, the pilot of a damaged plane only had one real option, jump out and hope their parachute opened. But as aerial warfare intensified, engineers began looking for a way to launch the pilot out of harm's way before their chute deployed. Early ejection seat prototypes used compressed air to propel the pilot's seat up and out of the cockpit, but most of the final designs use small explosive cartridges instead. The first operational ejection seats were developed in Germany near the end of World War II, 
they were used at least four times during service, but not to great effect. Two of the four pilots died in the attempts. Still, the idea behind the project was a sound one, and many countries' militaries began developing their own versions after the war had ended. A few years later, the first supersonic aircraft were introduced, and ejection seats became a necessity. That's because simply jumping out of the cockpit isn't an option when you're traveling faster than sound. In the 1950s, rocket-powered ejection seats became a standard feature in most military jets. Several different models were used, but they all worked in roughly the same way. When the pilot pulled the ejection handle, a chain reaction was triggered. First, the cockpit canopy would be blown off by a set of explosive charges. Then, the pilot's body harness and leg straps would tighten, pulling them close against the seat. Next, the catapult system beneath the seat would activate, guiding it up along a set of rails until the rocket motors ignited and launched the seat and the pilot clear of the cockpit. Lastly, small stabilizing rockets built into the seat would fire to help keep it level, and the pilot's parachute would deploy. Hopefully. All of that would happen over the course of about four seconds. A harrowing experience for a human pilot, but in many cases, a life-saving one. The technology did have a downside, though. Most ejections put between 15 to 20 Gs of force on the pilot, often resulting in spinal injuries. And when moving at supersonic speeds, the risk of serious injury or death was compounded. The issue came to the forefront during the development of the Convair B-58 Hustler, a high-speed nuclear bomb-carrying plane built in the 1950s. It was the first operational bomber capable of Mach 2 flight, meaning it could travel twice the speed of sound, or roughly 1,500 miles per hour. Standard ejection seats were deemed too dangerous when moving at such speeds, so engineers at the Stanley Aviation Company designed a new kind of ejection system. The B-58 was operated by a crew of three, the pilot, the radar navigator, and the defense systems operator. They were each seated in a separate cockpit arranged one behind the other, and each cockpit was equipped with its own escape device. But instead of rocket-powered seats, the B-58 used fully enclosed escape capsules, the airtight pods included their own oxygen supply, allowing them to be ejected safely at an altitude of up to 70,000 feet and at speeds up to Mach 2. The capsules were also designed to function as life rafts. They were stocked with food, water, and other survival supplies, and were buoyant enough to serve as a boat in the event of a water landing. In the early 1960s, the U.S. Air Force began testing this new ejection system on the ground using rocket-powered acceleration sleds. The initial ground tests used human dummies fitted with sensors, as well as private citizens recruited from unemployment lines. Later on, researchers turned to animal test subjects, including chimpanzees, Himalayan brown bears, and American black bears. The chimps provided some useful data, but the bears were a better approximation of the mass, body shape, and organ arrangement of a human. And so, when it came time for in-flight trials, the bears were the obvious choice. The first of those ejection tests took place on March 21, 1962. A two-year-old female black bear named Yogi was sedated and strapped into one of the B-58's ejection pods. Then, a human pilot flew the jet to 35,000 feet 
and ejected the bear over the Texas desert. Yogi landed safely roughly eight minutes later, having endured what must have been the most confusing and frightening experience of her life. The Air Force was satisfied with the outcome and went on to eject five more bears from the B-58 Hustler, some at even higher speeds and altitudes than Yogi. Two of those bears had much rougher trips, sustaining fractures, broken bones, and bruising during their landings. There was also one fatality among the group, a bear who had a brain condition that was not identified before the flight and was unable to withstand the physical strain of ejection. The test phase was completed in August of 1962, and a few months later, the Air Force released a short film detailing the success of the project. The program pointed out that several design flaws in the capsule had been revealed through the tests. For example, the bear's fractured pelvic bones highlighted the need for a seat that wouldn't shake so much during ejection. That, and other faults, would be corrected in future models, and once perfected, the capsules would be installed in all operational B-58s. The video didn't linger on the bear's injuries or trauma, but made sure to include footage of one being hand-fed some fruit by a woman in a white dress. As for the bear occupant, the narrator proclaims, she was kept under clinical observation for several days after her flight, following which the customary detailed medical examination was performed. No injuries of any kind were revealed, and the animal's overall condition was found to be excellent. What the narrator conveniently omitted is that the detailed medical examination was an autopsy. The five bears who had survived their supersonic ejections were later euthanized so that doctors could examine their internal organs for hidden injuries. The short film concluded by declaring that, quote, the closely knit Air Force industry team can look back on their joint labors with justifiable pride. It's a nice sentiment to end on, but if all they felt was pride, then why hide the true fate of the animal test pilots? Why say the animal's condition was excellent, when in reality it was only their organs that were in good shape, while the bears themselves were dead? The escape capsule program was called ambitious and pioneering, and from an engineering perspective, it absolutely was. Likewise, the capsule itself was heralded as a major advance in aeronautic safety, and that was true too. But as with so many other human achievements, it's a lot less impressive when you find out exactly what was done to achieve it. I'm Gabe Lussier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy 
taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.